When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If a leadership void was part of the downfall for the 2023 Cardinals, has the team done enough to rectify the situation for the new season? That's coming up on B-Shape Daily, live from Jupiter, Florida. What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Friday, February 16th, 2024, Live from Jupiter, Florida at Cardinals Spring Training Camp where I am now stationed and will remain stationed through the end of the month and into the first couple of days of March. Welcome back into the show. Excited to be on more of a regular schedule now that I've found my bearings a bit at spring camp. Although today was a tough one for me. I'm not going to lie to you on Friday. uh, I'm pretty sore because last night on Thursday night, I went out and played some pickleball with a few of the other Cardinals writers. And wow, let me tell you, I am in no shape to be doing that for like the two and a half consecutive hours that I did. It was a lot of fun, though. Nice to get some exercise down here because you also spend a lot of time eating food that is not entirely healthy per se. Get off my back already, would you? Nevertheless, Cardinals camp, another fun time on Friday. Nolan Arenado made his first appearance at Cardinals camp. So today on B-Shave Daily, we'll talk about Nolan, and we'll talk about him as well in the context of this leadership conversation that won't seem to go away in Cardinals land, in part because of the way the team itself had described its strategy for the offseason to bring in veterans, reliable leaders, guys of that nature. While a lot of that happened on the pitching side, obviously the Matt Carpenter inclusion for the Cardinals this offseason, bringing him back into the fold to sort of round out the bench was obviously a move that drew some scrutiny, of course, because if you look at Carp's numbers last year, you might say, hey, didn't Cardinal fans have to kind of deal with the downfall of Matt Carpenter in the final years of his career in St. Louis already? And he had that nice feel-good story going to the Yankees and performing so well, earning some more money that he was able to get a contract from the Padres. But like, why, why should that become the Cardinals' problem again, basically? Because it was tough for Cardinals fans that loved Matt Carpenter when he wasn't performing in St. Louis down the stretch and he was continuing to get at bats there for a couple of years toward the end. It, it was difficult emotionally, I think, for Cardinal fans because they want to love Matt Carpenter, but they also didn't feel he should be getting so much opportunity in the everyday lineup. Now, this year, we, we expect it to not be exactly that way, that Carpenter would probably be more of a bench guy and much has been made, depending on, I know Matt Holiday was on Hot Take Central and talked about it, and a lot of people seem to have this viewpoint that, hey, the, the last guy on the bench, veteran leader to be able to kind of guide that group of players that, you know, maybe could could stand to have a guy to look to, to, to really understand the way to operate, the way to handle your business at the big league level when you're maybe not playing every day, and, and the challenges associated with that, maybe Carp can be just a good voice for the clubhouse. That was the, the thought on the surface. But when John Mozeliak had the Zoom to sort of explain the Matt Carpenter signing, there was this little bit of a, a quirky element of it where he basically, in the way that he described it, said that 
you know, this move was reactionary, reacting to what he had been hearing from guys in that clubhouse about what the group maybe needed, what they lacked and would like to see more of in terms of a, a guy that could be a vocal leader that can voice the things that are important when he feels it is necessary to do so and and isn't afraid to go up to some teammates and say, hey, here's here's what I think should be going on here and, and, and have that sort of presence in the clubhouse. And that was instantly an interesting angle because a lot of people responded to it and said, well, what about the two MVP candidates that the Cardinals have at the corners of their infield, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt? What about those guys? Can they not be those leaders and, and, and sort of fill that void. I think a big part of it is the Yadier Molina void that certainly existed for the Cardinals last year. And by the way, like he's not at camp right now. John Mozeliak said the first day of camp that he's they're good with Yadi taking a few weeks to get down here, which is all well and good, but kind of interesting because you might think that, man, if he's going to be in a role with the team, which again, I think he's it's an advisory role. It's not full-time coach or anything like that. But I thought that the primary benefit of having Yachty back in tow with the organization in any capacity would be right now, like these early weeks of spring training where you can have young guys get a look at like Yachty or Molina and be able to pick his brain and be able to to hear from him and, and hear him describe sort of what he thinks spring training ought to look like for young players because he was a guy of, of, of legendary status when it came to the, the work ethic that he would put in when he was down here in Jupiter as he built his career year after year. Now, obviously, he's a retired player, and so that at everybody's point in life, you get to that point where you go, well, I don't really need to work that hard like I used to. Uh, you know, Yachty's not a player anymore, so that's totally to be understood. But the the resource aspect of having Yachty around would have been nice. Uh, again, he's supposed to come later on in camp. The Cardinals obviously are, are being very uh, friendly with the, the notion of, like, Yachty, you do as much as you feel comfortable doing, uh, you're always welcome here, that sort of thing, because, you know, they they understand where he's coming from as well, I think, from a perspective of, you know, I've, I've done it for a long, long time and trying to be able to enjoy retirement while also kind of keeping my foot in the game and, and being able to, to stay involved in that way. And I think the team's viewpoint, John Mozeliak's viewpoint, and it's the right one, is a little bit of Yachty is better than no Yachty at all. So the Cardinals are, are kind of having that door wide open for it to look like whatever he's comfortable with it looking like. But, like, that's another example of uh, of some some leadership moves that the Cardinals have instituted this offseason to try and fix what was evidently a void in the clubhouse last year. And, it's, and it stands to reason on the surface that, yeah, without Yadier Molina, who sort of ran that clubhouse for so long, you are going to have a different dynamic. And it seems as though you had a situation where, first of all, the team was bad from the early going. And when you've got guys that like to lead like Goldie and Arenado tend to, which is just their style of lead by example, lead by their the work they put in, and you can watch that. And it's not that they're not approachable. Like, this is a, a tricky conversation to get into, and I want to make sure to handle it delicately because I don't want to be irresponsible by putting off like, oh, yep, this is Cardinal players. They just don't think that, that Paul Goldsmith and Arenado are very good leaders. Like, that's not the conversation that I that I think is – is the right way to approach this. Like, I'm sure with both of these guys, uh, you're, you're able to have conversations and learn from guys who have done it at such a high level for so long. But think about the specificity of the way it went last year for the team. And I'm not even going to point to, like, individually for Goldie and Arnado because they, they still put up numbers, not the numbers that they're accustomed to seeing, 
Uh, both of them had a little bit of a step back, but they still were very capable contributing big leaguers. And it's not that you look at their performance and go, oh, man, I mean, those guys can't be leaders on the field because look at the way they played. That's not that's not the kinds of season that, that they had. It just collectively wasn't enough for the Cardinals. And I think that sort of uh, rubbed off a little bit on guys who, like Goldie and Arenado, want so badly to win and to compete and to do well in the competition that I think they probably, and, and this is something that Ali Marmol has echoed as well about just not specific necessarily to these two guys, but to all the, the guys who you'd consider leaders on the team. It was just a collective guys maybe press it a little too hard trying to do more than they really have to do in order to fix something, right? To feel like you can be the one to to pull the team out of the doldrums. And in reality, it, it just was never meant to be. Once that, that stone got rolling down the hill, they were never able to really slow it back down. Um, the toothpaste was out of the tube, et cetera, whatever analogies you would like to hear. It was relevant to the Cardinals last season after they got off to that poor start in April. But I think from a leadership perspective, it's like, okay, is there that element of you have these guys who have done it for so long and they're talking about maybe some of the things that were wrong, which we heard from John Moselock that sort of the Matt Carpenter angle was those two, Goldie and Arenado, conversations with those guys as well as manager Ollie Marmel led Moselock to believe that whether it was a guy like Matt Carpenter or Matt Carpenter specifically would be a benefit to the clubhouse with what he brings in the intangibles that he could provide. And and those guys close with Matt Carpenter on a friendship level, on a personal level, so it would stand to reason that, hey, yeah, they would be in favor of bringing him back in, and maybe he could be a missing ingredient to, to kind of help that clubhouse round into form without the expectation that he's going to be an everyday player, which I think is where he was when he was here the last time because he was getting paid like one and had the desire to to, to find his form back. Although, you know, maybe some stubbornness on his part, certainly, that he's admitted since then, the first go around, that he wasn't really able to fully immerse himself in trying to fix the issues that had sort of creeped into his swing, into his game, into his mindset until he was playing for a contract, essentially, when he went to the minors with the Rangers and then ultimately played for the Yankees in a uh, official capacity and played really well for them that season. And then it was a new contract with the Padres last year, sort of fell off the off the pace a little bit once again to where he was traded to Atlanta and then cut by the Braves. That was basically just the Braves eating some of the Carpenter money in order to pick up a, a better prospect in the deal that they made uh, with the San Diego Padres. But Carpenter's story is known, yet the Cardinals said, like, we think this guy could be somebody that that we could use, but I don't think it was, again, necessarily John Moselec is the driving force behind that. Obviously, uh, he had to have been on board with it or the, the deal doesn't get made, but it was a response to what he was hearing about the clubhouse from the leaders that existed still on the team within that clubhouse. And Goldie and Arenado, particularly on the position player side, are the anchors of that lineup of that clubhouse. And people would question, like, well, why couldn't they maybe be those vocal leaders? Why why were they not comfortable stepping into those roles? And again, delicate, tricky, because it's just one of those things that on paper, sounds like it's an easy question to ask, and we should be able to come up with an answer. Like, hey, this is a void that needs filled, so the guys that are the the, the veteran most players and the top performers of the team year in and year out, it's their responsibility uh, to pick up that mantle. The clubhouse functioned so well, though, when you had Goldie and Arenado able to fill the roles of lead by example, and there wasn't this yearning for, like, hey, you need to do something that is outside the purview of, like, 
what you've done for your 10-year big league career. We need you to be a different type of leader now as a result of what we do or don't have on the rest of the roster. And in fairness to those guys, I don't necessarily think that's what's best for the team. Like, yes, I do think there is an element of sometimes your best players do have to be uh, able or willing to fill certain roles, but it's not always the case, and it may not always be to the betterment of the team that it would play out that way because if those guys are don't have the... I'm going to call it a skill. If they're not equipped with that that skill set to say, I can be the guy that knows how to deliver this information in a way that my teammate's not going to take it the wrong way. They're not going to think I'm coming off on them in a way that's like, there's a skill set to that. And I'm not implying that Arnado or Goldschmidt isn't capable of having these conversations with teammates when it's, when it's necessary. But I certainly think, and, and, and maybe we shouldn't even lump Goldie and Arnado into the same bucket. I, I think they're unique individuals. They're each their own person, their own player, their own leader, and they're going to approach things in their individualistic way, which I think we would all do in their situations. But it becomes more noticeable and more glaring, right, when you can look around and say, well, this is something that we sense a need for now that the guys who had sort of been filling those roles in in, in the way that they did before aren't are, have departed. They're not here anymore. And so it becomes more noticeable, fair or unfair, that's sort of the burden that gets placed, at least I think publicly sometimes, on guys like Arnado and Goldschmidt because they are the best players on the team. So again, I know people are going to have sort of different reactions to that. It's been something that's been out there in the ether for some time. You can let me know your thoughts in the comments below here on YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. I'll be here in Jupiter, like I said, till uh, early March. So make sure you guys hit subscribe on the channel if you want continuous updates from Jupiter. I, I posted uh, a portion of Tink Hens's bullpen session that he threw earlier on Friday Tink Hentz, a guy that the Cardinals uh, could be relying upon as early as late 2024, I think, if he's able to continue taking step forward, uh, steps forward, I should say. This is kind of the, the year for Tink Hentz and the Miners where it's like, all right, what is the trajectory of your career? And, and it's not to say that one minor league season will determine that, but it it's beginning to get to the point where it'd be nice to know if the Cardinals are going to view this guy as a legit future starting candidate at the big league level, or does his, his kind of more slight body type, although he has put on some muscle, does his his pitching style and body type lend itself more toward a relief role? What's the stamina going to look like, the durability going to look like? They just haven't pushed Tinkens all that hard at this point in his career, but I think this is the year that maybe they they take the lid off a little bit more on, on him from an innings perspective, potentially. We don't know that for sure, but just speculation, kind of reading the tea leaves, it would make sense that that might be the case. But he looked good in his bullpen, so I put that on the YouTube channel earlier on Friday, so make sure to, to check that out if you want to. Miles Michaelis is throwing there in the background as well. Um, it, again, it's not maybe as as immersive of an experience watching, listening as um, our typical podcast or B-Shape Daily, but we try to put other kinds of Cardinals content on there, especially for folks that uh, are sitting there in snowy St. Louis thinking, man, I'd like to be down in Jupiter. I'll try to give you all at least a glimpse of what we've got going on down here. Um, I, I did get a little bit of a flack in the comments section for the shakiness of the my, my camera recording. I am using my phone. I, I am trying to avoid carpal tunnel by uh, constantly kind of adjusting my arm and my wrist and, and making sure I can do the best I can there. And it's damn sunny down here, too. Not to like, I don't say that in a braggadocious way. I could um, because I know a lot of people dealing with snow right now. But like, I, I can't see my phone screen to know, like, is this in camera view is this looking like it should so if it's not the highest quality video I apologize but let's get back into the conversation here on Arnado on the leadership aspect of the Cardinals because as I mentioned Arnado did report to camp today we mentioned on B-Shape Daily yesterday weren't sure how quickly we'd see him obviously I think uh, by the 19th I think maybe Monday 
is when you got to be in camp. Uh, re mandatory report day for position players. Uh, we knew that Arnado was down here in Jupiter. I believe the same is true for Goldie. Uh, we did not see Goldie just yet, but Arnado reporting on Friday, taking some BP through a couple of the swings that he took, uh, hitting some line drives uh, in, in BP, put that out there on the old uh, on the old Twitter machine. And I think Saturday is going to be kind of live BPs. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a possibility with a lot of different guys scheduled to throw and perhaps throw to some of their teammates that have reported to camp. So that could be uh, that could be a lot of fun as well to get to see some of those guys in action. If not Saturday, it'll certainly be soon as the Cardinals position players continue to filter in. We saw Victor Scott actually in the building for the first time today. Didn't get a chance to talk with him, but the media did talk with Nolan Arenado, and I don't want to present it like something that it isn't uh, because I did miss the, the the very beginning of Arenado's conversation with the media because I was absolutely in a spot where I felt like if I didn't go grab some quick food, I was going to pass out. Um, I'm gonna I, I, it's Spring training for reporters too, right? except for the other guys that were actually there. So that one's on me, um, but I did end up making it for the tail end of Nolan um, after I grabbed some quick food. And uh, I, I sometimes you make a gamble as a, as a writer down here. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and you go, well, when's the clubhouse going to open? Gosh, Arenado, he probably left by now. I'm, we're not going to see him anyway. I got to go grab some food and, and, and race back, and you miss exactly what you would have been hoping to get. But I was there for a portion of Nolan Arenado, and I think, honestly, the most interesting portion when it comes to this conversation about leadership, because Jeff Jones asked him a great question, referencing the fact that like, hey, John Moselec sort of implied that that the Matt Carpenter thing came about as a result of conversations with you, with Goldie, uh, about kind of the state of leadership in the clubhouse last year. And I'm going to play for you a quick snippet of what Nolan Arenado had to say about that this afternoon in the Cardinals clubhouse, because I think it is is definitely an interesting insight into kind of the way that he's thinking about these things. But also, I, I think there is going to be some reaction. And, and the reason I'm going to go ahead and play it, because you read it. Jeff Jones transcribed the whole thing and uh, put it on his Twitter feed. So if you haven't read that, he's at J.M. Jones, writer for the Belleville News Democrat. But and he asked the question, and it, it was an interesting answer that I think I can understand where Nolan is coming from. But we also want to kind of dissect what he might exactly mean by by what he says here when it comes to last year's clubhouse and the state of things. I mean, I think it's, you know... Um, you know, our team was just all young guys, you know, and, uh, and not in, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they kind of overran the clubhouse, and it, usually the veterans run the clubhouse, and I don't, I don't mean that, like, in a way of, like, they were disrespectful. It wasn't anything like that, but there was just so many of them, and uh, I think if you want to get the best out of young guys, they got to see how the veterans do it, all-stars and players that have been there and done it before, and then that's how you get them better, but if they don't have those type of figures, it's going to be hard for that to happen. Now, I know me and Goldie were there, but you know, there's only, you know, it doesn't, you know, we're not, we're, we're not really vocal people either. So, you know, it's nice to have Carp who's not afraid to go up to people and talk to him and, you know, and like I said, hold people accountable. So that was Nolan Arenado Friday afternoon inside the Cardinal clubhouse there in Jupiter at spring training. Impressions from what we heard there. I don't think it does anybody good to overreact necessarily to what we're hearing from Arenado and none of it should come as a particularly big surprise given that we kind of already knew that there was this feeling within the clubhouse from guys like Goldie Arenado that there was maybe a, a bit of a lacking there in terms of what they needed from a leadership perspective. That's why the, the Carpenter deal happened in the first place. But this is the first time we've really got to hear from Arenado in his own words about kind of walking through what that looked like and, and why that was in his mind. He talked a lot about the young guys. There's a lot of young guys. And he said, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. But they, it kind of felt like they overran the clubhouse. And from the public perspective, it's like, okay, if you've got a bunch of 
younger players and they sort of outnumber maybe the the ability of veteran leaders to kind of make their imprint and have it be known that like, hey, when you come into this clubhouse, this these are the guys that you sort of have to mind almost and that you have to sort of recognize that, hey, you know, these these are the footsteps that you're following in that you want to be sure to, like, I don't think there was ever any doubt. I bring back Yachty because I think it's relevant. I don't think there was ever any doubt that that was the case when he was there. Or if Albert was there, like, that was the way it was. And is it that guys like Goldie or Arenado or one of the two or both of them maybe keep to themselves more? Or is it that, you know, you see a guy like Arenado in the midst of a season that he even said this afternoon, like, really not eager to talk more and more about last year. And I get that from his perspective. He had to do it for a full season, and it was not a pleasant one as much as he tried like hell to make it better. And and, and certainly he came around, uh, especially defensively in the latter half of the season. He um, said he was, you know, bummed that he had the uh, gold glove streak snapped with, with 10 straight and, and Cabrian Hayes getting the award this past year in the National League. But, like, he, he's not eager to talk about last year even more because of the way that it went. And... It certainly seems to have been the case that Yachty's presence, as we we figured would be the case, was missed. But like the specific way in which it was missed is sort of a lack of direction, maybe. And I can I can already hear it. Fans say, well, isn't that Ali Marmol's job? Like, there's only so much a manager can do. And this is me talking. I, if you if you agree with me, fine. If you don't, that's fine. But I think there's only so many elements of a of what a manager can do. And Tony Larusa used to certainly have. Uh, a lot of thoughts on this. If you read different books that he's he's co-authored about like the 2011 season or three nights in August or different things like that, like there's only maybe so much a manager can do to influence the culture within that clubhouse. It's got to also come from the guys within the room, right? Like that's got to be a big part of it because you can't just be that manager who's the hard ass and is going to ride every individual guy. You have to you have to ease off of certain guys. You have to 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 ride certain guys maybe a little more. But that you know, as a manager, there is there are limitations to that. I think would be my answer to anybody who would say, well, yeah, this is an Ollie thing. I think it's got to come from the players. And when you have Yachty go, it was Albert gone the year before. It, there's just not that maybe that overriding sense of like where everybody slots into. I don't even want to say the hierarchy, but just like the comfort factor of what the clubhouse should look like. And you could also make the case that like, okay, Yachty wasn't around the entire. 2022 season either like he was he was missing time he was in Puerto Rico for a while he was injured but like just the notion of hey we're coming into a spring training and Yachty's not here and he's not going to be here because he's not on the team anymore what does that look like and people do not like to hear about the world baseball classic because they think it's an excuse but when you have that going on and you have two of your veteran most leaders on the pitching side Michaelis and Wainwright also at that event and then Wainwright gets hurt at that event and then when he comes back it's three weeks into a season where you had a brand new catcher and he's not really been uh, around in the same way because he hasn't been able to participate in pitch. And and I, I don't claim to remember exactly the whereabouts of Wayno during those weeks, whether he was in town the whole time or part of the time or what it was, but it's different when you're not, you're on the injured list. You're almost like, and it, this isn't the right word, the connotation, but like a pariah in the sense of you are not doing the same thing as everybody else. And everybody knows that. So how much could Wayno be an effective veteran leader even last year, especially at the beginning when he wasn't healthy, but then even more so when he's dealing with his own stuff, the fact that he's pitching really, really poorly and has to wear that and knows that it's his final season and wants to so badly to do well and impress and and finish on a high note, like all these things personally going on for Wayno because of his performance. And you might say, well, be a good teammate and, and step in. You're not, you're not in there to know what he was or wasn't doing behind the scenes, even as all of that was going on. 
Um, a lot of the stories we've heard about Adam Wainwright over the years would indicate that, that he, I imagine he was still probably uh, doing everything that he could to try and make that a positive environment and have young pitchers be able to learn um, and be able to see and be able to, to, to soak up whatever wisdom he was able to impart. But we can, we can acknowledge the reality of the situation is that it was probably difficult. It was probably difficult to have that same level of impact um, with the way that he was performing every fifth day and dealing with injuries. And, and it just, you know, it's not the same. And so I think you had a lot of individuals kind of going through that rather than having that maybe uh, enough of a presence on that club to take when your veteran leaders are ailing and, and, and having trouble in the field or trouble in, you know, w- with the fact that the team is losing, like who ties that thing together? Who wakes everybody up? Who, who does the rah-rah speech? Because I think coming from guys that don't typically do that, is it going to land in the same way? I'm going to probably argue that it isn't. While I do think there is a, it's incumbent a, a little bit upon your best players to also be willing to take on those roles. I think realistically, it's not always going to be as effective as just what we can say from the outside or look at it on paper and say, yep, this is the way that it has to go because you hit 30 and 100 and you're a, you're a perennial all-star and MVP candidate. Like that's not necessarily automatic in the real world, in real life. When these guys, like this is not a video game. We got to, again, I used to view baseball through more of that prism. I'll be honest with you. Like when you look at the way the game would flow and you, you look at play MLB, the show or whatever you go. Yeah, man, my, my team on this video game is so good, but I, I, I need a shortstop who's better than a 77 overall. So I'm going to go into free agency on the game or make a trade. And now my team is perfect. And, and we've got all the, you know, 85 or above overall ratings. And so we're going to win. Like there's more to it than that in real life. And you, you can get a glimpse sometimes when you're in a clubhouse into more of what that is. Right. And, and just the dynamic is not such that I think, Arenado getting on a table and, and, and saying, hey, guys, we got to get together and have a rah-rah clubhouse speech wasn't going to land necessarily because everybody knew, hey, man, Nolan runs hot, and when he's not performing well, they see that within the clubhouse and the frustration bleeds out for him, and that's just the, the type of competitor that he is. I'm not saying that is a negative by any means. Like, people just know who he is and the way he operates, and, like, that's a guy that you just want to – you want to – encourage and say, Hey man, we're going to, we're going to get over this and get through this. And we're, you're going to continue to be you, but like, that's tough. It's easy to say, but it's tougher to, to be the guys that can do that and have it land and have it register with a guy who is just so intensely desiring to do well. So I think it's easy to talk about leadership of the clubhouse. Like we know, because we think we know from playing a video game or, or, or what it's supposed to look like. Whereas, or, or just, you know, watching this team play a, a summer, Whereas in reality, it can be maybe more complex than than meets the eye sometimes. This isn't trade secrets by any means. I'm not trying to pretend I have any. I'm just kind of looking out for the human nature side of it to go, hey, I know what hearing these quotes, and I wanted to play it for the context so you could hear the tone in his voice and and hear that, no, he didn't need to be asked, like, well, what about you and Goldie? Like, that, he probably figured that's going to be a natural question. And so he, he heads that off before anybody even asks, and he says, I know Goldie and I were here and he tries to delicately explain, which is difficult to get it right in one quote, and he, because you know people are going to parse it out and, and have their opinions on whatever you're about to say when it when it goes out publicly, can be a difficult thing. And so he, you know, tried to delicately explain his thought process the best that he could. And when he kind of says, you know, Goldie and I aren't exactly those vocal guys, and and I think he was even about to say, not to put words in his mouth, but he said, you know, you you have me and Goldie, but. That's only two guys. That's what I thought he was about to say, and he sort of shifted. And, and again, I'm not going to. I can not going to be putting words in his mouth, but I just feel like 
you you look and say, yeah, man, like those two veteran all-star caliber guys, not a lot of other all-stars running around that lineup, right? Future all-stars for sure. New Park could be one. Jordan Walker could be one. Um, trying to think through the lineup, like Tommy Edmund, I could conceivably get there one day. Mason Wynn could, Gorman could be one. Like you've got guys that certainly could, and I didn't mean to leave anybody out if I did, but I, I think there's a number of guys. Brendan Donovan, of course, I think is a candidate for that at some point in time. And then there's another name that we haven't talked about much, but Wilson Contreras. Personality-wise, think about Wilson Contreras and what you know of him and what you've heard from him and seen of him in the way that he looks to be a leader. He is a vocal guy. By nature, I think he is. But can you recall what happened to Wilson Contreras four weeks into his tenure with the St. Louis Cardinals last year when there was a Yadier Molina-sized void of leadership in a veteran presence needed to, to be able to, to have conversations with guys and to be viewed in that light? What happened to him? Pitching staff threw him under the bus. I mean, you can't be the vocal team rah-rah leader, and maybe rah-rah is the wrong term, but you, I, I hope you know what I'm getting at. You can't be that guy that that wants to, to maybe pour into others, but you also got to be a little bossy when you do that, right? Like, again, I mentioned it with Arnado Goldie. I'm sure they're willing to impart their wisdom. I There's no doubt in my mind. But are they comfortable being those guys like, do I tell somebody else what to do? Like, how far can I push that? Where's that line? Where's that balance? I can make suggestions to guys, but do I really feel like I'm in a spot to where I'm going to tell these guys, here's what you need to be doing when, you know, I, I'm self-conscious about the fact that, you know, my 800 OPS isn't 850 like it normally is or isn't 900 like it. I'm not I'm not MVP this year. Like those guys are, are so intently desiring to help their teammates on the field that you could absolutely see a world in which they could think about their own performance and go, man, I'm not playing well enough to be able to have that conversation with that guy. And that like I don't think that's fair, of course, to those players. They they have earned every bit of credibility that they have in this game, both Goldie and Arenado have. And and so, you know, if they if they were to feel that way. Again, we're kind of speculating here of like, okay, why is it that maybe they weren't the most comfortable? It just may be their leadership styles, or it could be like, hey, man, I'm trying to work through my my individual performance because I know that the way this team functions best is to have me hitting 300 and, and slugging 550 and, and like all these things that need to happen. And if those aren't happening, I feel like I'm letting this team down. So who am I to then go and say, hey, here's the things I'm seeing in the clubhouse that need to change? You know, that could be a mindset for anybody in those circumstances when they feel like individually they're not pulling their weight. I'm not saying this specific to that it happened with these two. To be clear, it's like any, any human nature would be anybody thinking, man, I'm not pulling my weight, so how am I going to go and, and have a conversation that the other person may not receive so well? Is that going to land? Is that going to be what's best for the team? Like, I think it's so simple to have these, these, these hot takes or these initial reactions to things like this and go, well, that's what it is, and it's problematic. But I want to focus in on Wilson Contreras because, again, with the way that he was treated uh, he, he they they threw him under the bus and then they backed over him and then they ran back forward over him and then they I think they backed up one more time that was a guy that could have absolutely I'm not saying Phil Yachty's shoes but he could have at least been not playing from behind the eight ball where he's just trying to freaking survive and go what's going on here why am I being why am I being treated this way why are, why are these things being said about me when I'm doing my damnedest to help this team win again if you really wanted to try and and read tea leaves and, and parse out, you could say, man, the pitchers kind of did him dirty. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you individual names that I know because I don't, 
but like the Cardinals have had a very targeted way of going about things with replacing some on the pitching staff with with the you know the guys that have departed. And I think there there are multiple categories of guys, so don't just get it in your head that I'm talking about anyone in particular. Some guys were part of the pitching staff and they're gone now, but it's like that was kind of performance-based and in, in, in the pitching depth of it all, it, it was not necessarily going to be to the team's benefit to say, you know, these guys are going to be our, our sixth, seventh, eighth starters again this year. You might just have to to have a clean cut and see if that can be an area that you rework. Guys from the rotation, right? Like performance-wise with Wayno, he just wasn't performing. It's not to, to knock him in his leadership. Jack Flaherty is, is an obvious name that people would think about. And it's like, well, in some ways, I, I think he has leadership skills. And in other ways, I think he was uh, at times caught up in his own, you know, issues with not this past year because he was pretty healthy last year, but injuries over the years and own personal just striving to, to, to be the best that he can be. Jordan Montgomery probably maybe felt a little bit like I'm a newer guy in this clubhouse and is it really my place even as a guy who's been around the block before to to kind of have that role. I just think there was just a level of interpersonal connection that maybe just didn't jibe. It's not that the team didn't like each other. It's just it didn't jibe. And then things get said and somehow it ends up being Wilson Contreras that's on the butt end of it all. And you go, how in the world does this happen? And for Wilson, like that's he, to his credit. I mean, he was an incredible leader last year. And the way that he was able to take some of the stuff that happened to him was said about him and let it roll off him like water off a duck's back. I think that is leadership. But now you've got a Wilson Contreras that hopefully he's coming into this camp a little more confident to say, I can be somebody that can be a voice in this clubhouse, not somebody who's being attacked behind his back and things like that in this clubhouse when people don't like the way he's handling certain things about the catcher position. Like he can be a force for good, not somebody that it's like, oh man, he's dragging this thing down. Only, I, I honestly, because of kind of the way that, that it was portrayed and that he was sort of ganged up on. It's like, yep, you're the scapegoat for what's going on in this bad start. So that doesn't empower a guy like Wilson in his first year with a new team to be able to go out there and, and, and say his piece and, and and tell teammates what he thinks is is needing to happen in that room. So I think that's an interesting angle of it. And part of what may benefit the Cardinals this year, because I think they could have a Wilson that if everybody kind of understands that what happened last year to him wasn't right, then I think he's going to come in with a lot more confidence to be able to be himself. And he, he can be a vocal guy and a force for good. The young players that Arenado talks about, though, is the last kind of point that I want to kind of touch on. They had a lot of young players, but when I think about the young players, and I've pushed back on this notion before on the podcast earlier this offseason, I don't think young like a young team is the way I would describe the Cardinals last year. I Like, they had a lot of young players, but you're telling me that guys like Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar are the young guys who were kind of running through the clubhouse without really the, the guidance of enough veteran leaders to know what to do. Those guys are leaders. And they're going to continue to be good leaders for this Cardinal organization. Tommy Edmond, I think, is a great example of leadership. But is it just that they didn't have the right mix? That's kind of an intangible thing. That's kind of a hard thing to quantify. But I just, that's that's the part that I push back on from Nolan on like, okay, you had a lot of young guys, but are you referring to like at the end of the year, guys like Irving Lopez and Michael Ciani are playing some games? I'm sure that's not what he means, but it's like, because at that point, the season was long over, and so it doesn't really matter whether those guys like coalesced. It was a dark clubhouse to be in in September and August because you kind of knew where the, the wind was blowing on the season. But like other guys that are young guys, like, I don't really know. I don't I, I don't really know. I cannot put my finger on, and it's not in an accusatory way toward Nolan. It's just, it's an interesting angle. And, and, and you could look at it as simple as like, look, these players are faced by media, and they've got to say something to kind of sort of articulate 
where they think things went wrong last year, and they're eager to stop having to talk about it. They're so glad to have a 0-0 zero and zero fresh start. That's the record, just the same as everybody else, and that's a good thing for this team to be able to kind of let go of the, the burden that they had to carry through probably five months of last season after the first month went the way that it did. But, like, to say, oh, it's a young clubhouse last year, I mean, that's not, again, I'm not in, in, in the room like a player would be, but we can look at it from the outside and go, yeah, maybe it's just that lack of experience. You didn't have a lot of former All-Stars on the team. You didn't have, outside the, the two main guys that we talk about, maybe as many of that. But it's interesting, like, young team, do we really view last year's Cardinals team as a young team? We can go around the diamond in future episodes. We're about to wrap this one up. Let me know what you think, and let me know if there's anything you want to continue to see me touch on Saturday to kind of bring this conversation to a close. But I'm just curious, you know, if others see it kind of the same way that I do. I didn't view last year's Cardinals team as, you know, the, the victim of a young clubhouse that just sort of lost its way. I think it was a combination of the veterans that they did have maybe weren't accustomed to having to fill the shoes that were being asked of them to fill, and it was just a, a, a lack of decisiveness and comfort uh, for everybody to be in the roles that maybe – they were asked to be. It reminds me real quick of Mizzou basketball this season where they haven't won a conference game after being a great team last year under their first year head coach, but they had guys that just fit the puzzle pieces really well. And this year's guys were asked, hey, you have to now step in to be the lead roles. And it's like, maybe those guys were, were more comfortable in the role that they were in before. But that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Appreciate you guys as always for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.